Well, it's that time again. It's the Armchair Managers podcast, and we are back this week after an international week. It's not quite done yet. There's a bit more to look forward to. But so far, England have been, I want to say, impressive. But we'll dive into that, because have they really been that impressive? As always, to help unpack that with me is my co-host, Dan Newton. Hello. And I get well, Dan, have you been watching England play? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I watched um, uh, most of the Albania game, and I saw the highlights from San Marino. I'll be honest, I didn't quite fancy watching the full 90. It seemed pretty predictable. Yeah, it did feel that, didn't it? Um, which we'll get into but let's sort, of, let's sort of unpick first of all the uh you know the positives that we saw from england uh first of all with san marino a 5-0 win um it's what you expect you know you fully expect england to go and to win that game and to be honest you would argue that five goals was a massive underachievement considering they had 32 attempts on target um 15 of those on target so you know a one in three conversion rate from on target shots, which yeah is reasonable against a keeper who, to be fair to the San Marino keeper, considering he had five goals put past him, he put in a pretty good performance. Yeah, no, I remember seeing after the game, I think um, Jesse Lingard was having a bit of a joke with him. Well, I think Lingard yeah. was like, I had seven shots, he saved them all. We let the other five in. So it was you know, nice yeah. to see uh, little stuff like that. Um, but no, I thought. You know, it is what it is. San Marino, obviously, are nowhere near the level of England. It's always going yeah. to be, you'd think, five goals is almost a minimum for England in that kind of fixture. But, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, England did what they had to do in that game. Yeah, you know, they went, I mean, we all knew San Marino were going to sit back. Um, and England, you know, showed that they were patient. They didn't get frustrated. They created chances by being patient and just playing the game to try and stretch them and create space in behind the San Marino line. Um, I definitely think of that game that the differences in fitness levels showed between the England players and the San Marino players. You know, there's the uh, San Marino number eight, uh, knackered by about 30 minutes in. Yeah, I mean, especially they had to do so much work against England, trying to just press them any way they could. It's always going to be difficult when you have so little of the ball like they did. Yeah. And, you know, San Marino, we, we point to their goalkeeper, especially, you know, they only have two professional players in their lineup. Um, so I, I wouldn't say it's a horrible, you know, performance from them, considering that um, many of them not having not played football for four months due to lockdowns. Um, and, you know, was that, it was not the worst England performance. It wasn't exciting, but you know, the, like you say, they went and did what they had to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's almost in a way, it's kind of difficult for both sides because if England don't go out and win five 0 then everyone says you know it's a massive failure. And for San Marino, they're only going to go out and lose five 0 You know, they're never going to get a point or even you know definitely not a win against England. So it's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't for both sides. So it's. Yeah, it's kind of a weird fixture. It's a bit pointless, uh, in my opinion, but um, it seems to come yeah. up very often, this game. Yeah. Um, we saw, as well, for England, positive debut goals for both James Ward-Prowse and Ollie Watkins. Um, do you think you know that must mean a lot for both of those players? Yeah, I mean, they all count. You know, no one's going to say, oh, yeah, he scored a goal for England, but it was against San Marino. Like, it's more than most players will achieve in their career, and I'm sure they'll be very pleased. 
um, and hopefully uh, they can both get a lot more um, in the coming months for England. Yeah, yeah, and you know we also saw England play Albania. Uh, played yesterday evening with England coming out with a 2-0 win. Um, again, this is a game that we kind of expected England to win, but posed maybe a bit more of a challenge than uh, the San Marino game. Uh, what do you think of that one, Dan? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I tweeted out, I, I find watching England play the kind of Albanian team very irritating. I think England just... Are massively frustrating to watch sometimes. So I know obviously Albania are much better than San Marino, but I still think you should go out and beat them a lot more comfortably than England did. Like I know they were, they were never in danger of losing the game really, um, but two 0 still isn't that great. And I think England were just very dull to watch, to be honest. Yeah, I I must say it wasn't the most um, exciting game to watch it was it was really a hard slog at times you know there was long periods of just possession where the balls just kept and you know we say possessions you know a large part of football but it was tricky to um tricky to watch at points it was almost you knew there was a going to be a goal at some point it's just when would it happen yeah, I think I think maybe my frustration comes because we're obviously getting much closer to an actual tournament. So I think yep. for me, I want to see more than just getting the results. I know that's what matters for a qualifier, but I want to see England actually have a playing style and being able to see the patterns of play they're going through. Where I don't know against Albania, it just looked like eleven individuals who were put out there. I don't think there was a lot of cohesion between them. No, I, I mean I'd, I would I would disagree, mate. Maybe going forward, they looked a bit individual, but I think that's just because the quality of England's defence just isolated a lot of them, except for when Mason Mount played a superb through ball to the Albanian striker to play him through. Yeah. Um, but I think defensively, Albania are actually really well organised. Um, I thought the, the press in midfield worked reasonably well, but again, I think just such a golfing quality between the two squads. Um that the press would never really seriously disrupt England's game. Like we sh- we showed we had the quality to play around a, a reasonable press. Um, I think a better team would, you know, have a better press in midfield that could really disrupt us. But against Albania, I, you know, didn't see that. Yeah, I don't know. It's just there are certain elements to it that I found a bit odd. Like looking at Harry Kane's performance, I, I know obviously in the end he ended up with a goal and assist, but. He kept dropping so deep to get on the ball. It was like he was playing for Spurs. The thing is, when he plays for Spurs, he drops deep. I can hit those long balls to Son and to Gareth Bale. Where well, the way England was set yeah. up, we had Sterling getting in behind, but Mount and Foden were playing a bit more as creative midfielders. They're more put the put the through balls in um, for the strikers. Yeah. So you ended up where you had like Mount, Foden, Kane all dropping deep to get the ball, and you had Sterling just off on the left wing on his own really. yeah it was just it was just odd to see it i don't think it really made sense from a, a tactical point of view yeah it, it was certainly better in the second half but you know we saw in england in you know try a 4-2-3-1 formation which is not one that we thought is different from what we saw against san marino where they played a 4-3-3 and then it's different from the last time we saw england play um in 2020 where they've been playing the sort of you know the 5-2-2-1 or the 3-4-3 yeah um 
you know, that's one positive to take. That it does seem that we've got you know the depth to play multiple different systems now and have players who fit that system. Um, um, but as you say, you know, there's individual errors. You know, Kane coming so deep effectively leaves it with no attack because you know the midfield, our attacking midfielders were coming deep, and with the quality we had in that attacking midfield, there should have been no reason for Kane to drop deep. He should, you know, he was going to get service. Yeah, so I mean, it felt like he was just playing like he did for Spurs, but he yeah. shouldn't be because that's not how England are set up to play. Um, yeah. I mean, what did you think of the team selection overall? I know, obviously, on Twitter there was a lot of, you know, two CDMs playing. Why is Kyle Walker starting? What did you think about that? Um, I was I was surprised at the two CDMs. I think that. Um, considering the quality of the group we're in, we shouldn't need to play a double pivot. We yeah. just, it should, with the attacking quality that we have, there should, you know, we shouldn't be too concerned. Um, particularly, again, like I say, the teams we're coming up against, you know, are, you know, there's a case to be made for Poland being kept separate for this, but then you've got Hungary, Albania, Andorra, San Marino, all teams we've played before, all teams we've beaten, and we've beaten, you know, and look comfortable doing it. The the main, you know, risk for England is ourselves. You know, if we go out there and we're a little um, complacent, we just don't quite string it together. We get impatient, and then we look crap, and then we make a mistake. Um, I just, yeah, the double pivot confused me. It's I wouldn't have played two holding midfielders personally. I think you could have used a, a you know, a ball carrier, a, a more competent ball carrier in that midfield yeah you know i agree i think you know looking at the midfield options for england i know they've had a couple injuries um in the squad um especially up front i think rashford and saka have missed out but in terms of the double yeah. pivot i think you know even if you're going to play two defensive minded players you could play declan rice with i don't know ward prowse who's going to sit deeper but he's obviously a lot better on the ball and you can maybe find those passes to get england out i just think you know i i like phillips as a player but He's yeah. not. He's not the best pass of the ball, really. He is more of a tackler and you know passable five yards. That's his um, kind of game, I think. From what I've yeah, seen, yeah. But I, I, I don't disagree. But I think that England needs that one. I think maybe the double pivot was more that Declan Rice didn't get forward. Didn't you know? Because he's he's a good ball carrier. But I'd like to see if Rice had gone forward more. What Phillips does, I actually think, is really good. Is you know, I actually like. He breaks up the play, he, retri- he uh, retrieves the ball, and he keeps him ticking over. Just by playing, give it to someone else who's got a bit more ability, keep possession, and make yourself available for a return ball if need be. And I, I like that. Um, I think that's quite actually an important thing to be able to do. Just break up the opposition attacks, retrieve the ball, give it, give it out. I, I'm actually a big fan of that, and I think that in that formation that we played, I think I, I would have really liked to have seen... Uh, maybe Lingard start in the midfield. I'd even maybe like to see Bellingham start. Yeah, I think Bellingham could have done well with either of them. I yeah. just think you need one of Rice or Phillips. You definitely don't need both of them because they're both more defensive-minded. Different kinds of yeah. defenders, I think. But um, for me, I would yeah. want to see Rice alongside a different, more creative midfielder. Um, yeah. Again, and, and the other thing was um, Kyle Walker at right-back. Um, obviously not played a lot of football for Man City this season. Yeah. And kind of replaced in that position. And we know how good England are in right back. Did you think it was a bit odd that he seemed to be the first choice? 
Um, I'm not too concerned over it. I think I see, I can understand why he's been picked, and I think it's thinking ahead of keeping a stronger 11 fit for what is the toughest game of the three, which is Poland. Um, I'm, I'm not, I wasn't entirely convinced. He looked unfit at points, actually. He made a couple of runs, and he stood there trying to, you know, and he looked like he was blowing yeah, I afterwards. Agree. Um, I think that against a defensively minded team, um, like you know the, the way that Albania set up, we maybe should have played Trippier as a starter because of his delivery from set pieces. Um, but saying that, Luke Shaw did a pretty good job on corners, uh, the ones he took. Um, so while I, you know, I thought maybe Trippier would have been a little bit better. I'm not overly concerned about Kyle Walker. I still think his recovery pace um, is a massive plus to any defence. I think the fact that, you know, he can cover so much space so quickly and, you know, get back and track back so well, I think is always a benefit. Yeah, I mean, I agree with most of that. I think I think it probably depends on the team that starts Poland, um, which will kind of, I think, tell us more about Southgate's first eleven. Um, yeah. The only frustration, I, I mean, I, I'm not personally a huge fan of Kyle Walker, at least not over the last season. I think he's getting older, he's not playing as much football. I think England have just got yeah. better options there for me personally. Um, I would rather have seen Reese James or, like you said, Trippier, who, again, he hasn't yeah. played a lot of football either, but, you know, he is very dangerous from set pieces. But I think we'll, yeah. we'll know more against Poland, and I think I might be a bit more concerned if Kyle Walker then starts that game as well. Because if yeah. he is the first choice, I think that that is a mistake from Southgate. But um, overall, I think, you know, England did what they had to do. It wasn't that exciting. And I would like to see more from them. But yeah, they get, they're getting results, which I guess is always going to be the most important thing. Yeah. I mean, and we say about England not being entertained. That brings us on nicely onto something we were discussing before recording. Um, you know, everyone's seen the Harry Redknapp outburst about England and the group that they en- ended up in. Um, and, you know, they're saying that what is the point in England playing in this group? There is, you know, we don't learn anything from a group consisting of Poland, Hungary, Albania, Andorra and San Marino. Four of those five teams are going to sit deep against us and we are going to have ridiculous levels of possession like we saw against San Marino and Albania 85% and 71% respectively so what is the point of us playing these games because when we come up against someone like Germany or France or um, Belgium or Spain that's a different calibre so what is the point of us trying to qualify against teams that don't have a, a chance in hell of you know giving us any level of competition yeah no it, it is odd I mean I think it's kind of always been the case, really, where I think that the system is set up for all the big teams to qualify because that's what I think the football associations want. And it's just, yeah. like you said, it is just kind of pointless, really, because you're just going through the motions because you're always going to qualify. And if you don't qualify, then it's a catastrophic failure. Um, but no, I, I completely agree. It's, it's pointless. You're not going to learn anything. And the football games aren't even entertaining. You know, it's, <laughs> they're dull to yeah. watch and they don't really mean anything. And you even look at, you know, the last World Cup, England's got a very lucky uh, draw of fixtures. And the one time they came up against a half-decent team in Croatia, they yeah. lost. 
So clearly, you know, England do not have enough um, match practice against the better teams. Because as yeah. they've shown through tournaments, as soon as they get a difficult tie, they tend to collapse. Yeah, and you know, against Belgium as well, we did we, you know, we struggled against them. We didn't play well, fantastically well. Um, you know, we let, we lost them twice, lost them into the group, and then the playoff the third. So, I mean, it was what is the like Poland? We say are the only team that could um cause us an issue but it's now just come out that uh, Robert Lewandowski will not be playing because he sustained a knee injury so if you, I mean if you look at the squads you know you don't want to discount how they may play together but if you look at the squad on paper and look at the names you, you don't see any players who are on the you know man for man on the level of any of the England players no definitely not I think the amount of quality England have in comparison to Poland you know, I don't think it's disrespectful to say that England are the favourites to win the game, and they should be. Yeah. You know, if England lose that, I think it will either be because Poland play absolutely amazingly, or most likely it will be because England underperform. Yeah. So I think, you know, you're completely right. You know, these games are kind of pointless. Um, I don't think we learn a lot from them. I know stuff like the Nations League has come out, which is supposed to give you more competitive games. But I think in the way that's affected, you know, qualifying... Uh, giving more routes to qualification, I think it's lowered the amount of quality in the actual World Cup yeah. qualifying groups, which means that you're just going to have even more games that don't really matter. So it's a, yeah, it's a strange one. I think the whole system probably needs changing, but I don't really yeah. know how I would change it, to be honest. Yeah. You know, w would you rather see that the qualifying groups were built in a way that you played teams in and around your skill level based on performance over a certain period of time and not the FIFA rankings because we know that the world ranking system is shit. Yeah, so like, it's a load of rubbish. Categorically crap. But would you rather see England play teams that we think that we're around the level of your Portugal's, Spain's, um, Germany's, Belgium's, France's, would you rather see us play them in the qualifiers and risk that we don't get into uh, the World Cup or any European qualifying, uh, European uh, competition. And then actually some of these smaller teams, they all play each other with the chance going forward. Because they must go in saying, oh, look, we've got World Cup qualifying and that is it for them. They don't go further. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think I would. I think it would make it a lot more exciting. You know, you think yeah. about how many international breaks there are over a season. There's quite a few. You play a lot of games. I think if you could have more competitive games during those windows, it would make the whole year more entertaining. Because it's what, you know, an international tournament every two years, you know, your yeah. tournament could be over after three games. You know, yeah. I'd rather have a lot more games throughout the year, which means something rather than potentially, you know, just the tournament games mattering. Yeah. But, you know, that would run the risk of, you know, if we're only seeing two qualify from a group of six, and it's, let's say, in the group England, Italy, Spain, Germany, France, Belgium. Only two of those goes three, and then some of the best teams in the world don't make it to the World Cup. Do you also think that that's a fair representation of who the best teams are? Like, Well, I, I don't think I would do it exactly like we just keep the current system but put all the good teams in one group. I think you need a bit more of a nuance to the change to the system. But I'd rather, you know, say I have a group of six, you know, three of them are like England, um, Italy and Portugal, something like that. So you've got two yeah. good teams going through and then one potentially missing out. Um, I think that would be more interesting or even more kind of playoffs in the groups. 
you know, if you miss out on the yeah. top two promotions, you go into different playoffs and stuff like that, I think could make it more interesting. But it just, it's so boring right now. I, th- I think something has to be done to change it. Yeah, because, you know, as we say, we you can look at every single group. You know, we look at Group I and you'd expect England and Poland to go through. How, Hungary could be dark horses in that, but you'd expect them to go through. If we go to Group A and you look at that group, Serbia and Portugal are top on both four points, with Luxembourg, Azerbaijan and Republic of Ireland making up the other three in that group. And you'd expect it to finish similarly to, similarly to that. Um, if you look at Group C, Italy and Switzerland, both top on six points, Lithuania, Northern Ireland, Bulgaria, all on zero. Again, you'd expect you'd have looked at that group before gameplay and goes, those are the two that go through. And I think it is largely the case with almost every single group. Yeah, and I mean, let's not um, kid ourselves. It's by that. It's it's um it's that through design. You know, the whole point is to get the top teams into the World Cup. Yeah. You know, because they sell more you know tv tickets and everything like that so it's you know it, it's set up in that way and it just means we get kind of boring build up to tournaments but yeah but teams in the tournaments i guess yeah it's i mean it, it, it can't be it almost makes it a labor doesn't it when you're playing against teams that we we know we're gonna be and you sit there and you watch and they sit back and it's just Okay, right. Matter of time. It's it, it's it's and I don't I don't think that these other teams learn anything from these games either, particularly, do they? When you're playing against someone who's so far above you, like what do you learn? What have San Marino learned from sitting back, not attacking, and conceding five? Yeah, I know. It's like we said earlier. Both teams are just going through the motions, really. You know, yeah. for example, England know that they're probably going to win eventually. And the other team know that they don't really have a chance of winning. So they just have to sit back and kind of, I think you maybe said earlier, play to try and not lose rather than actually win the game. You know, it's, yeah. it's not even like, you know, you think of domestic football, like if a lower league team gets to play a Premier League team in the FA Cup, you know, that's exciting because it can happen once yeah. every three or four seasons. With the international yeah. games, it's every kind of international break, the same thing happens. You know, yeah. there's no... It's not even any kind of mystique to it you know it's just yeah it's what it is every time it's not even interesting for the lower teams i don't think yeah i mean it's the equivalent of the six formers at school nicking the year seven's ball isn't it like yeah it it's you're never gonna you know these teams are never gonna trouble england you know unless mason you know someone like mason mount makes a mistake that puts them through and even then he absolutely bottled it in front of goal yeah, no, it's always going to be down to England underperforming rather than the team kind of overperforming. I don't think we'd ever see a game where England played amazingly and so did San Marino. And it was like, you know, a back and forth game that just doesn't happen. So it's mm. it's just not interesting to watch for anyone, yeah. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, hopefully, you know, we're looking forward to the Portugal game, uh, Portugal-Poland game on Wednesday now. Um the, t- the toughest game that England probably going to play. Um, as we said, they've got no Lewandowski. So, first of all, look forward to getting... Dan, what would your starting eleven be? Uh, what, for the Portugal game? For for the Poland uh, game. Oh, yeah. sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You miss, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. First um, of all, what, what formation would you go for? Would you go for the... 
the 4-3-3 we've seen, the 4-2-3-1, or back to the 5-3-2? Um, I'd probably go with the 4-3-3. I think yeah. I'd probably stick with Nick Pope in goal, keep Shaw at left back, uh, keep Maguire and Stones, I think. I'd probably put Reese James in at right back, just because I'm a fan of him. Uh, yeah. At the base of the three midfielders, I'd probably have Declan Rice. Then in front of him, I'd probably have Mason Mount and maybe Lingard. Uh, between Lingard and Bellingham, I'm not sure, but I think probably Lingard for his experience. Yeah. Um, up front, Harry Kane, left wing Sterling, right wing Foden. I think that makes sense to me, to be honest. What uh, What about you? What do you think about that team? I I, I largely agree with it. Um, I would probably take our Lingard put Foden into the midfield and saying that we've got injuries we can't can't yeah. do that. In fact yeah, due to injuries I would probably agree with that lineup. The only other decision I you know, I think that uh, Southgate has to make is if he does go for a four three three, will he stick with a double pivot? You know, yeah. can we see Ward maybe someone like would Calvin Phillips stay or would maybe Ward Prowse come in for Lingard, which I wouldn't be opposed to. Again, I think that Ward Prowse is so dangerous offset pieces. I think he, that would be a good move. I'm a little concerned about his, you know, comparative lack of mobility. Yeah, um, he's not. He's not the quickest. He's not not the quickest player, but I think that the, his set pieces are certainly worth something. Um, I'd be perhaps if he doesn't play, I think we'll see Trippier right back. But other than that, I think I agree with the lineup. Although. Nick Pope, he did worry me a little bit against uh, Albania as a goalkeeper who couldn't kick. Now, forgive me if I'm wrong, but in the game that we call football, I thought kicking a ball well would be a prerequisite. Yeah, he was not great with the ball at his feet. I, I don't know if maybe he just had an off game, um, potentially, but nah, he didn't uh, fill me with confidence either. No. Um, but I, th I think, yeah, I, th I would like to see... Probably a very similar lineup to maybe Trippier and Ward Prowse in, but otherwise pretty much the same lineup, I think. Yeah. Um. One last thing on England, uh, slightly off topic maybe, but uh, something that just popped into my head. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, Marcus Rashford's inclusion in the England squad, um, because it was coming out uh, earlier in the week that Rashford was already in, uh, injured when he hit, uh, hooked up with the squad. He was never going to play. Um, he was only going to be there kind of to get around the lads um, and kind of get to right. know them and that. So I wonder what you thought of that. Cause to me, it, it didn't seem quite fair that someone like Patrick Bamford would miss out for someone who has no chance of playing. Yeah, I I can agree with you on that. And I would suspect on the news that Southgate already... He says he already knows he's starting England 11 for the Euros. Now, I reckon Rashford's in there. But he hasn't played in England's four through three or four two three one setup, so I think he's had Rashford there to give him a little bit of coaching through the, this system. I reckon that we're probably going to see because I think Rashford, I think had Rashford been fit, you'd see Foden in the midfield and then Rashford up front on that right wing or on the left and Sterling out to the right. So I reckon he's te he's been coaching him through the system, and I reckon that's why he's taken him because it does not make sense to have a striker who is fit and firing like Patrick Bamford sat at home while you take an injured 
striker with you. It doesn't make sense unless that's the reason why you're doing it is because you need them to learn a new system. Yeah, no, I I agree with you there. Um, it's not it's not a knock on Rashford. Um, I think we're both big fans of his, uh, both on and off yeah. the pitch. I just you know when the news broke, I just felt a little frustrated for the other players that weren't included. And to be honest, yeah. I mean, you look at how Man United play with a four three three. I think Rashford could probably adapt pretty comfortably. Um, to be honest, but yeah. I it just I don't know. It seemed, it seemed an odd one, and again, I think it's just another strange kind of decision from the England management team, but. Yeah, yeah, it is what it is. Um, hopefully he gets fit soon because I think England could definitely use him at the Euros. Would be a big player for them. Um, yeah, he he's having a great season. Um, you know, we said I think I've said as well that England players, you know, that a lot of their club teams play a four-three-three, so they should know the system. But it's the only reason I can think that he brought him. It's, it's really the only reason, unless there's experience for. Ollie Watkins to lean on, but then he's got Harry Kane to do that. So again, it's yeah. it's really tricky to work out why he's there. It is a bit of an odd one. So, aside from the football in this international break, we have seen a few teams standing out to protest about the Qatar 2022 World Cup, most notably Norway, Germany and Netherlands. Um, Dan... Do you want to take us through what protests have been going on and sort of why they've been going on? Yeah, sure. So um, probably I, I think it's probably been the biggest news story to come out of the international break. Um, but less about the football and more what's going on off the pitch. So like you said, it's been uh, mainly from Norway, uh, Germany and the Netherlands national teams who uh, before the match have been kind of unveiling various shirts with various different slogans, basically... Um, going against kind of the decision to give Qatar the World Cup, which is slightly odd considering we've known about it for a very long time, um, that Qatar are going to host it. And there's been a lot of controversy already to do with the kind of working conditions in building the new stadiums and the general kind of human rights uh, program in Qatar. And it's yeah. basically just that really. It's a lot of protests coming out about it from the players themselves. And I guess the question is, do you think that footballers are kind of doing enough to have this kind of social conscience right now, considering how long we've known that this is going to be happening in Qatar? That, you know, first of all, we couldn't possibly, we had to say we can't confirm and say definitely has been going on. So we'll say that all of the accusations are allegedly, we'll prefix them all with that. Um, but again, will let you do your own research and come to your own conclusions we do i do have an idea in my mind but um on the question of are footballers doing enough is a real tricky one because i'm not sure what else they can do and still maintain good grace with the pub in the public eye um you know we put a lot of pressures up on footballers to be role models um, so what more can they do by offering it than what is effectively a peaceful protest? What do we want them to do? Tell people to go and start smashing the streets up? Like, I'm not sure what, how much more can be done by footballers, particularly this late on, a year before the tournament starts. And as Dan says, how long we've known about it. I'm not, I think what they're doing is enough, but I think it's come far too late. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree with all of that, really. I think 
to be fair to them, I think, you know, it isn't footballers' jobs to really, you know, be politicians or anything or kind of, you know, talk about human rights conditions. That You know, that's that's not what they're there for. But um, I think the big question has been, obviously, peaceful protests are good. Obviously, you know, getting more awareness to the situation is kind of the minimum they could do. But I think it was, yeah, Joshua Kimmich, who's obviously a huge player for Bayern Munich and the German national team, came out and said that, you know, he was saying, if you're going to boycott the tournament, then the conversation should happen 10 years ago when, you know, the uh, tournament was announced. I think that's kind of the, the point is, like you said, we've known about it for so long. So why is action only kind of starting now? You know, because yeah. the only other thing they could do is potentially boycott the tournament. But realistically, you think with so much money tied into different, you know, national teams and, you know, all the broadcasting rights that I don't think anything like that would ever happen, unfortunately. And it's just kind of a, a very tricky situation, I think, for everyone. The kind of because it clearly, it seems like most people think it's not a good idea, you know, to host a tournament in Qatar. Doesn't seem quite right with everything that's gone on behind the scenes, um, allegedly, as you said. Yeah, uh, I think that's kind of the tricky situation. Is if there was going to be bigger actions, they should have came um, a lot sooner. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think part of it is certainly in the last couple of years in terms of player interactions and pl- hearing players voices through social media has become massive it's exploded you know we i think we're seeing more footballers interacting and sharing what they actually think on social media we've seen a lot more than that than we did 10 years ago um and i think this is something that they can take forward in the form of that um but yeah, the conversation should have. There were probably grumblings about it when it was first awarded to Qatar. Um, but if it, this conversation, if we were that certain that things were happening um, or would happen, then yeah, the conversation should have started a long, long time ago. Like it's it's almost too late to stop now. It's inevitable. It's going to be there. Um, you know, what much? How much more could they have done had they started earlier? I don't know. In, yeah, but you know, certainly when you're going to protest something, you don't wait nine years. Yeah, f- before you start. To be fair, I think maybe this has kind of come about with, you know, over the last kind of eighteen months, we've seen a lot more kind of political protests in football. You know, you look yeah. at how kind of the Black Lives Matter movements happened, and we had you know players taking the knee, and you know that's that's a whole uh, topic in and of itself. But I think yeah. perhaps players because of things like that. Are now feeling a lot more comfortable to come out and kind of talk about these things, you know, especially someone like you know Marcus Rashford, who we talked about earlier. You know, he said a lot of things that have been fantastic off the pitch. I think maybe yeah. because of people like him and kind of how these kind of protests are coming about more regularly, I think it's maybe kind of inspired them or made them feel more comfortable doing it. You know, I think if this stuff was happening ten years ago, these kind of protests would have happened. You know, if we had stuff like Black Lives Matter happening within football yeah. at the time yeah um you know football has increasingly like say over the last few years become a larger stage in which players are stay uh, showing their views you know they're not so much media trained uh darlings anymore they're not media you know they're not told what to say and even if they are half of them ignore it anyway and will counter that with what they say on social media so i think that yeah 
it, partly due to the fact that the ability to, to protest probably wasn't there or wasn't they weren't confident in it 10 years ago um the only thing the next step could be is that all players who qualify could just say we're not playing you know that could that could be a possibility um it's not a possibility i'd like to see for it to have to be that drastic um but if it's something that needs to happen then yeah i guess it, it that might have to be the only way that it's done yeah well i i think i i feel I, I, like i said i don't think that will happen but what i do think is because you know footballers are becoming more socially conscious and they're kind of doing these kind of protests more i think it reduces the chance of something like this happening again in the future and i mean something like yeah. the world cup would go into a country like qatar which has this kind of human rights record which you know isn't great um so i yeah. think going forward it's probably good for football because it means players are more comfortable yeah. to kind of make these decisions earlier i think it's just a, yeah. you know a sign of how times have changed to win football so i think you know while you know Qatar house in the world cup probably isn't great um it's good that things are kind of changing for the better i think yeah i, th I think we're now at the start of a good something a good a force for good something that is now starting will hopefully take hold and will hopefully you know it's going to affect the footballing world and the wider world in a positive way but as you know as Kimmich said it is it is probably something that realistically should have started 10 years ago yeah but it's good to see that it's at least starting now you know yeah better well, late than never and all that yeah better <laughs> late than never um but you know, hopefully, we'll, you know, we'll keep our eye on it and we'll keep you informed. Um, but if you do want to communicate with us about this topic, um, you can go to the bio of the description. Our Twitter handle will be in there. And you can tweet us and let us know what you think of, you know, the, the goings on in Qatar or, you know, how the players are protesting. Do you think they're being effective? Do you think they're doing a good job? Do you think they could be doing it better? Let us know. Um, away from that, we'll look forward to the return of the Premier League at the weekend and we've had a look at the fixtures and while it's always good to see the return of domestic football um, you know the biggest game is probably Arsenal versus Liverpool. Uh, what's your thoughts on that one Dan? Yeah um, two big teams having bad seasons um, we you know I feel like we talk about the problems of Arsenal and Liverpool every week um, so yeah. it's, it's uh, fun to see them play each other Um yeah, I think it's a tricky game. I think Liverpool will still be favourites um, despite their season. I think Arsenal aren't great either and arguably have bigger problems than Liverpool. I think Liverpool are just having a, a terrible season where the problems of Arsenal go a lot deeper. Um, so saying that, I, I expect Liverpool to win the game. Um, yeah. I don't think it will be super comfortable. I think Arsenal can definitely cause teams problems. You know, look at the Spurs game the other week. They were really good in that match. Um, but me, yeah. I, I'd expect a, a probably two 0 to Liverpool. I'll say. Yeah, I mean, as you as you said, um, both teams are having shocking seasons. Um, it's really not a good look for either team. Um, Arsenal, arguably worse for Liverpool because we know Arsenal's sort of been in a sticky situation for the last couple of years going through quite a few managers and a team never really settling coupled with all you know tricky decisions for the managers to make um trying to implement different systems um 
Liverpool, though, since Kabak signing and actually playing in the partnership with Nat Phillips and Fabinho moving into midfield, I actually think Liverpool looks a lot better. Yeah, I'd agree. I think they haven't they kept a couple of uh, clean sheets together recently as well. Yes, I think they did keep them in the Champions League, most notably. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think they kept on a narrow win at Wolves. Um, and, you know, speaking of that, Liverpool also got Diego Jota back, you know, who scored two for Portugal. Rumours he did sustain a back injury, which will be worrying for Liverpool fans. But, you know, we're seeing some of the key players for Liverpool and, you know, promising players for Liverpool returning, which, you know, I think Arsenal should be worried about. Yeah, definitely. To be honest, I think the quicker this Liverpool team can get their players fit and get them all firing again, I think it's a a big worry for the rest of the league because we we know how good they can be on their day. And you think of the Liverpool team over the last couple of seasons, you know, they've gone, you know, nearly whole seasons unbeaten. Do you think if Liverpool could get everyone fit, you know, and go on a run to the end of the season, then who knows? You know, they could still have a, a real outside shot at top four. But I know it's been a terrible season, but I actually wouldn't put it past Liverpool if they can put some form together to go on a really good run. Yeah. Um, and I think that seeing Fabinho drop into midfield with a solid centre-back pairing behind them, even if, you know, solid is a, I think, maybe a bit of a brave word to use. Um, but you know he's also Thiago's looked better as a player I think since he's that defensive side of his game is you know he's, there's not so much impetus on him to be that pivot to be that defensive cover for the centre-backs um, you know you say about top four Liverpool are currently five points off the top four so is it that close really? yeah they, and they're only three points off fifth so I, I personally I think that Europa League football might be more realistic. I think that Chelsea have looked so much better under Tuchel um, that we might not be able to break into the top four. But, you know, to be honest with the season we've had, I'd be happy with Europa League. Yeah, definitely. But as I thought they were further away than that. You know, I think it's it's going to be really close. And I guess we've been saying all season, it is more entertaining to watch at least the top four races again. You know, that, yeah, it's weird. You know, a lot of teams have underperformed, and maybe that's made it more entertaining. Um, yeah, which yeah. is you know strange, but uh, no, I'm looking forward to it. And I think to be fair, Arsenal Liverpool should be an entertaining game. I think the way yeah. the two sides play, you know, it should be exciting. Um, what what was your um score prediction for it? Uh, for this game, I'm gonna go for two one to Liverpool. I still think the defense is a little bit shaky. Um. Nat Phillips, while he would drop kick his nan to keep a clean sheet, um, not he, he's still this is his first year in the Premier League against top level op- opposition. I think you know if he's coming up against the Bamiyang or Lacazette, you know he could struggle a bit. You know Saka, as we know, has been phenomenal for Arsenal, um, so there could be a little bit of trouble there. But I think Liverpool um, should just come out on top. So I'm going to go with two one. Yeah, sounds good. Now, I, I said 2-0, but I think both agree it will be a, a close game. Yes, it will be a, a, an interesting game. I'm, you know, as you say, close, but I think it's going to be a thrilling game to watch. Um, but we're going to have to wait five days for that game. So, until then, I hope you're waiting as anxiously as we are, and we'll speak to you later.